we stand amazed on this Sunday morning. We stand amazed at what you've done for us through Calvary. Let the good news never get old. But Lord, give us understanding that we may be thankful for it today and appreciate what you've done for us at Calvary in that empty tomb. And thank you, Lord, that our lives are changed by the power of your Holy Spirit because of what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. All God's people said, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Amen. I hope you guys have had a blessed week. I hope you're being blessed by our verse-by-verse study through the book of Philippians. It's been a blessing to me. And um, But this morning, well, I tell you what, before we talk about my message this morning, let's talk about our message from last week. What was the message last Sunday? The message last Sunday was, in Christ alone. In Christ alone. Last week, we looked at Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. And what we saw in that passage was the foundation of our salvation is repentance and faith. Repentance and faith means you, you, you turn from the old life, you turn from sin, and you turn to Jesus Christ. And he clothes you with righteousness. And I, I remember very clearly uh, the summer of 19... 92, accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I remember the new life and the joy I had and how exciting it was. It was amazing. But many people ask the question, well, what's next? What's next? How do we respond to the gospel? How, how do we respond to what Christ has done for us on the cross? And that's the theme of my teaching this morning, which is, how you live matters to God. How you live, how we live, it matters to the Lord. And I believe that's where the Apostle Paul is going in Philippians, the, the second half of Philippians chapter 3. Um, where how we live matters. It, it matters how we live our everyday life. Why? Because we are ambassadors for Christ. You, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're born again, you are a representative of Jesus in the earth. You represent him to a lost world. And not only is that, not only is that one reason for, for, for um, the importance of it, but it's also um, how we live our life shows the authenticity of our faith. If our faith is genuine, if our faith is real, you're going to see a transformed life. Not a perfect life, not perfect because even as Christians, we still sin, but you're going to see a life that's been changed by grace, by grace. This passage that we're looking at this morning, uh, we're in Philippians chapter, okay, it's, it's up there, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. Please turn there, and uh, this passage here is, is deep and it's rich. So I'm going to take my time going through it, and I just want you to see everything that's there because it's loaded with biblical truth. And the theme of this passage is, is it matters how we live after we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, as we look at it now, Father, I pray that you um, help us to do as the scriptures are going to tell us, to press on, to move forward, to not look back, but to look forward. Look forward to you, Lord, to your return, to the rapture, Lord, to look forward to what you're going to do in our lives, Lord. Just, to, to just press on into the kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, Father.
Amen. Amen. All right, let's take a look at it, guys. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect. He says, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of, Christ Jesus. In my studies this week, the first thing that grabbed me was the three truths that are in verse 12. And I don't want you to miss them. Let's look at them. Let's, let's break it down into three parts. Paul says uh, in verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect. What the Apostle Paul is saying there for himself and for us is this, you and I have not arrived. Paul is saying in this text, this is 30 years after his conversion, 30 years later, a 30-year Christian veteran, and he says, I have not arrived. But wait a minute, Paul, you're saved, right? And Paul would say, yes, I am, but I haven't arrived. But wait a minute, Paul, you're doing God's will, right? Well, yes, I am, but I have not arrived. You're filled with the Holy Spirit, right, Paul? Yes. But in this life, in the here and now, me serving the Lord in this prison that I'm in, I have not arrived. It's a dangerous place for a Christian to come to a place where they think they've arrived. They think they know it all, and they think they got it all down pat. That's not a good place to be. We need to stay hungry. We need to stay moving forward. And that's what Paul's saying there. I haven't arrived yet, but look at what he says there in the next part of verse 12. He says, but I press on. This brings me to my first point of my message this morning, and it is this. In the Christian life, we move in a new direction. We move in a new direction. He says, but I, I press on. Paul is pressing on in the direction of Jesus Christ. That's the direction he's moving in. He's moving forward. He's not moving backwards. The, the, uh, the word press on in the Greek is dioko. It means to run swiftly, to pursue in a hostile manner. It means we run with all of our might. We run with all of our might, and we let nothing change our mind. We fight the good fight. We let nothing get in the way. Man, we take our faith in Christ serious. And if anything gets in the way, we're knocking it out. We're getting it out of the way, and we're pressing forward. That was what took Paul through those three missionary journeys and that trip to Rome and that imprisonment. That's what kept him focused. His eyes were on the prize, and he was pressing forward. He's in chains. Okay, he's most likely writing this letter of Philippians that we're studying. He's most likely reading it with chains draped on both hands and prison guards. But he would not let nothing deter him from pressing on into the kingdom. And then I love this, I love how verse 12 ends. There's three main parts of verse 12. He said, after he says, but I press on, look at the last half of verse 12. He says, so that I may lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. What he's saying there is, is the same endeavor that you and I pursue the Lord and pursue our relationship with Christ and go after him, he did the same for us, except he did it first. He says, that which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus in his omniscience, in his deity, as he went to Calvary, I can tell you this morning, because his deity and him being God, he had you on his mind. He was focused. The chains, the beatings, the whippings, the, the, the Via Della Rosa, the trip to Calvary, he had us on his mind. He was focused. Jesus was pressing on towards the cross is what he's saying here. So what do we do? What, what, how's that song go? Um, what can I say? What can I do? But give my whole life to you. We press on. We move in a, a new direction toward Jesus Christ is what we do. 
um, verse 13, he continues, But brethren, I do do not regard myself as laying hold of it, yet one thing I do, forgetting, here it is, guys, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. The second point I want you to see in this message this morning is the Christian life, we leave the past behind. We, we, We leave behind the past. Well, Pastor David, what do I leave behind? You leave behind your tradition. You leave behind uh, your philosophies. You, you leave behind your sin. Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depend on human tradition rather than on Christ. We leave our traditions behind. We leave our, we leave our philosophical views behind. But most importantly, when a person comes to Christ, is the, this is the big one, is we leave our sin we leave that old life behind. That, 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 that was dead men. That was dead men walking. And now we've been brought alive and we leave the old life behind. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? What does he say? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? There's a death that takes place when we come to Christ. There's a death. The old man passes away, the new man comes to life. Now, doesn't mean we become, it doesn't mean we step into the Christian life and we're perfect, okay? I, I remember when I got saved, there were some chains that fell right away. There was some stuff, some baggage I brought into Christianity. And through the process of sanctification, through the process of yielding to the Holy Spirit and spending time in the Word, he, sl- he slowly took those things and, and, and peeled them away. And he gave me the strength and the ability to leave them behind. So we leave behind the old life when we follow Christ. Tradition, philosophy, sin. And then it says there in verse 13, he says, reaching forward to what lies ahead. I love that. You know, I've got so much junk in the past, so much stuff in the past, so much sin in the past, so much I've done. I want to leave it behind. It has no part. Of, I, I want to leave it behind. I want to let it go. And let it be under God's grace that I'm forgiven, that I've left it behind. But, but we reach forward to what lies ahead. We're moving forward. We're seeking God's will. We're um, advancing the kingdom is what we're doing. That's why we gather on Sunday mornings so we can be equipped by studying God's word. And then we can go out and we can make a change in this world for Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14. Verse 14, beautiful verse here. I love this verse. For some of you guys, this might be your life verse. People, This is a very popular Bible verse. Philippians 3.14, he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want to focus on a part that many people don't focus on this verse, and it's the first three words. He says in verse 14, he says, I press on. There's, there's no quietism in, in Paul's voice in his statement. There's no... Just let go and let God. That's not what he's saying there. That's not what he's thinking. There's there's no quietism. Paul sees himself as an active participant in his faith. And this brings me to my next point in my my message this morning. And it is this. In the Christian life, we are active in our pursuit of Christ. We're active in seeking out fellowship. We're active in seeking out Bible studies and and coming together for prayer night and, and disciplining ourselves. There's a, there's a component that the New Testament talks about where we have, to put, we have to put forth the effort 
to come wholeheartedly after Christ. In the scriptures, in the New Testament, it describes, the Christian is described as a soldier in 2 Timothy 2.3. In the New Testament, a believer is described as an athlete in 1 Corinthians 9.26, as a farmer in 2 Timothy 2.6. You're described as a builder in 1 Corinthians 3.10. And in Hebrews 12.1, you are described as a runner. This ain't about earning your salvation, because it's by grace, but there's a response. There's a response where, God, you are so amazing, you're so awesome, you've done this wonderful thing, you've given me a new heart, you've given me the Holy Spirit, I'm now going to press forward. I'm going to respond to what you have done. We put our hands to the plow. We put our hands to the plow, we give max effort, and we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to be saved, but because we are saved. And we give him everything. Look at verse 15. He says, let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. That was a difficult verse. This is a, this is a difficult passage because of the wording that's put in there. But I'm going I'm to present to you what I believe the Apostle Paul is saying, what the Lord is saying through Paul. And, and attitude, our attitude is what? Our attitude is the way we think. It's the way we process. And Paul is saying here, when you put verses 15, verse 15 he talks about attitude. Verse 16 he talks about living. And what I believe Paul is saying here is the way we think affects the way we live. So a man thinketh, so is he. What, what, you, what you put in your mind, what you fill your mind with and what you fill your heart with in life, it will be manifested in, in the way you live. So the old saying is what? Garbage in, garbage out. We fill it with God's word, we're blessed. We think clearly. We're focused. That's, I, that's what I believe he's saying here in verses 15 and 16. Uh, I heard a preacher say this one time, stinking thinking leads to what? Stinking living. But right thinking leads to right living. You know, our mind is the battlefield, church. Brothers and sisters, our mind is the battlefield. You win that battle in the mind, you're going places. That is the struggle. We have, the, we have our mind that we wrestle with between the spiritual and the flesh. And if we can win that battle in the mind, we will go places. We will do great things for the Lord. How do we win the battle for the mind? That's the big question. How do you win the battle for the mind? By doing what we're doing right now and studying God's word. But it can't just take place on Sunday mornings, okay? You can't just come to church on Sunday morning and expect the pastor to feed you the word. You need to be carving time out of your schedule every day and spending time in scripture. Spending time in the word. Get you one of those guides, reading through the Bible in a year. Or pick your, pick your favorite book of the Bible and spend some quality time every morning, afternoon, or evening, whatever your time frame is. Some of us, it's morning, some of us, evening. But carve time out of your daily routine to spend time in God's word. And that will help you think clearly. And when you think clearly, it'll change the way you live. I believe that's what he's saying in verses 15 and 16. Verse 17, he says, uh, Brethren, jo join in following my example. And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. What was Paul's example? 
what do we see in the apostle? You know, there's, I've, I've been to some awesome Bible studies just studying the life of the apostle Paul alone. We can learn so much from this fully devoted follower of Christ. But what do we see in the life of Paul in the book of Acts in the New Testament? We see his love for Christ. We see his devotion for Christ. We see his determination to, to serve Christ. He was beaten. He was, he, was, he was beaten. He was imprisoned. He had every reason to quit. He had every reason to say, all right, God, this ain't your will. I'm in prison. I'm going to go back and do what I was doing before. But no, Paul was determined. Paul was determined and he was focused. And the number one thing we see in the Apostle Paul's life that the Lord used him to write his word is this. Jesus Christ was number one in his life. That's a response. That's a wonderful, biblical, beautiful response to being saved, to being born again. Is that we say, Lord Jesus, you're number one in my life. You're above my spouse. You're above my children. You're above my family. You're above my work. You are number one. My allegiance is to you and you alone. And when you get to that place, man, you're going to be an awesome father. You're going to be an awesome mother. You're going to be a wonderful son or daughter. You can be a very productive person because you got your ducks in order. Because you got things lined up. That's the response to the gospel. It, you know, when we respond to the gospel, it changes everything. It changes everything in our life. Some of us more quicker than others, okay? Some of us come into the Christian life, we have a lot of stuff, and, and God through discipleship and through his mercy and through his love and through his care works things out as we go along the way. It's not always instantaneous and it's not always perfect, but it comes with growing, growing in Christ. Verse 18, you know, first off, back to verse 17. Verse 17, you know, I think it's perfectly fine and biblical to identify people that you look up to and respect that are Christians, that are serving the Lord, and who, and who are um, walking the talk and say, you know what, I want to I I pattern my life after them. I, I want to um, take from them and add it to my life. We all have heroes of the faith. We all have a, a, a relative, a loved one, a friend, a pastor, or someone that you say, man, that person has just served the Lord, and I, I just want to listen to them. I want to open my life to them. The one for me was my grandfather. My grandfather, through all my years of rebellion and disobedience and not being saved, I watched a, a grandfather who served the Lord his whole life. And because of that, everything grandpa said I listen to. That's the way it is. So verse 17, we, we follow people's example. We listen to them. We take their advice because they are living the life. And, and, and they have a right. They, they have a right to, for us to be open to them. So with that said, now let's look at verse 18. Because verse 18 is who we do not listen to. Verse 18. He says, For many walk, of whom I often often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction whose God is their appetite whose glory is their shame 
who set their minds on earthly things. This was supposed to be an epistle of joy. And for the most part, it is. Paul uses the phrase rejoice or joy uh, 16 times in this book. But here, Paul says, I'm weeping. Who's he talking about? There, there's, there's two views of who's he, who, who he's talking about. The first view is he's talking about the Judaizers that he referenced back at verse 2 of this chapter, where he says, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. Clearly, in chapter 3, verse 2, Paul is addressing the Judaizers. But because of the language and the words used in verse 19, uh, many believe these are Gentile false teachers. These are people that were, they were not Christian, but they said they were, but they were bringing false doctrine. They, they were, they were um, bringing bad teaching into the church, and Paul condemns them greatly. How do we combat false teaching? How do you combat false teaching? Know the truth. Know the truth. Study the truth. And be a Berean. You should examine everything I say by Scripture. You go to a Christian conference, you go to any church, Christian conference, special speakers, you listen to a podcast, and, and, it's, and, and it's a Christian ministry, you need to judge it by the Word. The Word is supreme. The, the Word is, is, is what governs and guides our doctrine, our theology. It tells us the difference between truth and error. It is the final and supreme judge. So what I want to, my, my next principle that I want to bring to you this morning, as we, as we look at, I'm going to go through this more here, in verses 18 and 19 talk about these, but the next one is, in the Christian life, we exercise discernment. We don't drink everything we see. We don't eat everything we see. We have to ask ourselves, is this biblical? Does it line up with Scripture? If it lines up with Scripture and it's biblical, then praise the Lord, we, we take it. But if we say, oh, oh that, that's not in the Bible, no sir. We say, you know, and if they continue, we say, where's the door? Look, start looking up on the wall, looking for the exit sign. Because that's the direction you need to be heading. But we need to exercise discernment. Three characteristics of a false teacher. Look at verse 19. First he says, in verse 19, he says, of these false teachers, whether they're Judaizers or Gentile false teachers, you, you pick, but here's the characteristics of them. Whose God is their appetite. Whose God is their appetite. Their focus is on man. That's the first thing on these false teachers. All they cared about was their physical desire. When he says that they, whose God is their appetite, he's saying basically their God was their body. Or their body was their God. You know what this is? This is, this is as ancient as the earth. This is called idolatry. When we worship ourselves. And we focus on ourselves. You know, we, we take care of ourselves now in life. But when it comes to church and it comes to ministry and it comes to building the body, the focus is on heaven. The focus is on Christ. The focus is not what, not, not what can we do to please ourselves, but what we can do to please Christ. Then he says there in verse 19, he says, whose glory is their shame. This is why they lean away from the Judaizers because what is shameful? Sin. But yet, what does the text say these false teachers do? They glory in their shame. In other words, they approve of their sin. They, they approve 
of a sinful lifestyle. They're proud of their sin. To them, living in their sin is no big deal, is what he's saying here. They, they glory in their sin, is, is, is what this is implying when it says they glory. In other words, they take pride, they're rejoicing, and they're boastful in their shame or in their sin. 2 Timothy 2.19 says this, just to make it clear what the, doc, what the New Testament teaches. And he's not quoting from the Old Testament, because that's what I, when I first saw I thought he was, but he's not. This is a New Testament verse. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. Do you see the concreteness of the statement that Paul's fixing to make? The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Must turn away from wickedness. We... we we make a break from the old life. We make a break from sin. And through the process of sanctification, we're, we're being sanctified. We're being set apart. We're being moved away from the old life, from the old sin. And then he says there, who set their minds on earthly things. A general statement he's saying here about these guys, who are these false teachers. He says, you know, they're, they're, their focus is this world. Their focus is this world. Uh, their, their minds are on earthly things. And what he's, what he's implying here is that there's nothing biblical in their teaching. They completely neglect spiritual matters. And you know as well as I know, everything starts where? It starts in the heart. It starts in the heart. And it starts with allowing the Lord to change our hearts by his Holy Spirit and by learning and growing and digging deep into his word. So those are the three characteristics of the false teacher. Their God is their appetite. You know, their, their focus is on, their, their body is their God, it's idolatry. Their glory is their shame. They approve of sin. Their minds are on earthly things. They completely neglect spiritual matters. These are the people that were bothering the Philippians church. And then he says in uh, verse 18, pretty impactful statement in light of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, what, what did the Psalms do with the enemies of, with the enemies of Israel? What did, what did King David pray? He prayed in what we call imprecatory Psalms. Lord, bring judgment. Bring them to an end. Let it, let it come to an end, what they're doing with the God of Moloch and, and all the, these, these ancient false religions. But look at verse 18. Verse 18, Paul says, I tell you, even weeping. Paul's, Paul's not asking for judgment, but he's weeping. He's crying. That these guys, it, it broke Paul's heart that the gospel is not being preached. It broke Paul's heart when the truth is twisted. This morning, we have to ask ourselves, do we weep for the lost? Do we have a burden in our hearts? for those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Do we have a burden to bring the lost into the kingdom? Do we have a burden uh, for the perishing? Because that's what happens. If you step into eternity without putting your trust in Christ, the scriptures makes it very clear, you'll perish on judgment day. Charles Spurgeon said, when it comes to evangelism, we wrap our arms around their ankles and do everything we can to get them to embrace Christ. That we, that we reach out to them. And, and more importantly, 
you know, in the context of what we're looking at this morning in verse 18, do, do we weep for people that are deceived by false teachers? Do we weep for people that are so close to the truth, but they don't have the truth? How do we protect ourselves from false teachers? How, how do we protect ourselves? Again, by what I said a while ago, by doing what we're doing now, just studying God's word, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, in context. But Paul's weeping. Paul's weeping. You know, um, had the Jehovah Witnesses come to the door and had a really great conversation with them. Just a couple months ago, they came to the door, and I said, and I told them, I said, uh, they started telling me about annihilation and all these other doctrines that they were believing that were not in the Bible. And I just told her, I said, ma'am, I said, I'm a Christian, and can we, can, we, can we talk about this? I didn't attack her. I didn't say turn or burn. But I said, but let's talk about this. You know, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, I said, let's talk about this. I said, you believe in a, in, in a Jesus that is not God. I believe in a Jesus that is God, that is deity. And I showed her through the verses. I showed her through the Bible. I tried to reason with her. I didn't drop the hammer because I wanted her to listen to me and hear the gospel. And after I showed her her error and how, how the, the, the scriptures you know, say Jesus Christ is Lord, he is God, and I, and I showed her the deity of Christ, then I was able to share the gospel with her. I was like, well, by the way, would you consider yourself to be a good person? My way of evangelism, I take people through the law, through the Ten Commandments, so they can understand what sin is, and once they understand what sin is, I give them the good news of the gospel. And I was able to share the gospel because they're all about works. They're all about do. They're all about legalism and false teaching. But I was able to share the gospel with her and take her through the law, give her the good news of the gospel without dropping the hammer because my heart broke for her. And so our, our hearts need to break. You know, I think there's a time and a season for imprecatory psalms when we see evil being done, when we see unborn babies being killed, when we see the atrocities, Lord, stop that. Help us bring revival. But then there's also a time and a season to where you're witnessing to someone and talking to them. Your heart needs to break. And you, and you need to share, the, share, the, share it, Christ with them out of a concern and less out of a judgmental attitude. He says in verse 18, though, that, um, that they are enemies. Whoa, this is strong. This is strong. Whoever these guys were, Judaizers, Gentile false teachers, you pick the one. But look at what he says in verse 18. They are what? They are enemies of the cross of Christ. That's a very powerful statement for the Apostle Paul to make towards these people. They're enemies of the cross because they reject they reject the power of the cross. And ultimately, in this life, in the here and now, they, they, they reject the testimony of Scripture. Because you, you, could, you could lay out Jesus' entire, even when the book of Philippians was written, you could lay out Jesus' entire life in the Old Testament. One of the reasons why I believe in Jesus is because of the Old Testament. Because of all the prophetic pictures 
that it gives us of the coming Messiah. It spells out his life. It's like it lays it out. And then we have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. They rejected this. If they were the Judaizers, the, the Judaizers were um, part, I guess, they, they believed in Jesus, but they said, okay, you got to believe in Jesus, but you also got to be circumcised. And you also got to follow the Jew Jewish customs. And that corrupts grace. And that's what Paul was saying. If they were just outright false teachers, then they were denying everything. They were teaching a pagan religion. And look at verse 19. Verse 19, it starts off there. He, Paul says, whose end is destruction. Clearly, this is eschatological, and Paul is talking about the lake of fire. The lake of fire for these false teachers. But remember, he's speaking the truth that they're heading for judgment. But at the beginning of verse 18, he's weeping. He's weeping. You see, you see what you see in this passage from Paul to these people. He, he, has, he has compassion, but at the same time, he sees the truth of, of what they are. Homework for you. I, I turned there and I started to add to it, but there's an entire chapter in the New Testament dedicated to false teachers. And you can go home and read it this afternoon. And it's 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Go home and check that out. But um, their end is destruction. They were enemies of the cross. They basically, whoever these false teachers were, they stood in the way of a person coming to know the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And that is a crime in and of itself to be a stumbling block, to be a roadblock between someone um, not being able to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. What does that say to us? That, say, that says to us this morning, and that says to the world, it says to the scripture, that there's nothing more important than a person's eternal salvation. Think about it. How long are you going to be gone for when you leave this life? It'll sober you up real quick. Man, forever, man. There's nothing more important than eternal salvation. There's nothing more important than coming to know the love of God in Jesus. There's nothing more important than coming to know grace. Grace is beautiful. It's awesome. Let nothing stand in the way of, of introducing people to this beautiful, awesome grace-filled, spirit-filled life in Jesus Christ. Let's finish up verses 20 and 21. Um, this, is our, this is our goal. This is our reward. This is what we look forward to um, as far as the future and eternity for believing in Christ. He says in verse 20, he says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a savior the lord jesus christ now he puts because verse 20 follows behind this teaching on the false teachers um we saw that the false teachers that their uh, their focus was what worldly it was on earth it was on the here it was on the now so paul says in verse 20 not so with christians our focus is on heaven our focus is verse 20 for our citizenship is in heaven we are just aliens and strangers passing through, sowing the seed of life, sharing the gospel, 
serving the Lord. For our, our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. No, no one is more patriotic than me. I love my country. I bleed red, white, and blue. I love the military. I love my country. I love it, and I, I consider myself a proud um, citizen of the United States of America. But ultimately, above that allegiance to the United States of America is my allegiance to Jesus Christ and being a citizen uh, of heaven above. He says, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. I believe Paul here is referencing the rapture of the church. He's looking forward. He says, who will transform our bodies. You know, our soul is saved. The minute we get saved, our spirit man is saved. And we're sealed and we're serving the Lord. But ultimately, one day, the Bible promises, it could happen before I finish, it could happen before I finish this message. It could happen today. It might not happen for years. I don't know. But one day, Jesus Christ will split the eastern sky. He will come again. Not as a baby in a manger but it's the Redeemer called the rapture. And that's what I believe Paul is, is, um, is pointing us to here as we look forward to the rapture. Does that mean we abandon this life? No, no, no. We need to be hardworking, solid, productive citizens, doing life, raising families, being a light into the world. But ultimately, at the end of the day, our allegiance is to Jesus. And our, our allegiance is to, is to his kingdom. That's where he wants us. You know, I've heard some people say, you know, those people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. You ever heard that? I disagree with that. I believe the more heavenly minded you are, the more earthly good you are. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Father, for the truth that we've seen in Philippians. Father, it matters how we live our lives. Lord, I pray that um, your people would, would take this to heart and grow, grow in their relationship with you, Lord. They would love you more, trust you more, God, and they would go deeper in love, and they would respond. As Mary said, be it unto me according to your word. Lord, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Remember, church, it's not out of works. It's not out of being legalistic. We don't obey God to be saved. Remember, it's by grace, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But when that life is changed, it's going to make you say, man, I want to serve the Lord. I want to put my hands to the plow and give him everything. Amen? Amen. Amen.